Hey guys, this is Matt. And this is Sean. Welcome to the show. We're meeting at the crossroads of wellness and sales in an attempt to share different mental, physical, and spiritual tactics to attain better results in your life of sales. We're going to experiment, challenge, and discuss what may or may not work for you in hopes to push you to become the best version of yourself. Hope you enjoy today's show. All right, we are here live with Ian. Ian, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing, Sean? Doing well, man. Doing real well. Looking forward to, uh, guys, we're really excited. We got Ian Koniak on today. So I've been following Ian's uh, content on LinkedIn for a couple months now. He's got a really cool journey from copier sales to moving up into Salesforce, kind of getting into the SaaS world, being a top enterprise uh, SaaS strategic seller and recently has moved on to start his own coaching business. So Ian, welcome to the show. If you want to kind of dive in, give us just a little bio on yourself, a little background on, uh, you know, your journey on how you got into, into sales and we'll go from there. Sure thing. Um, great to be here, Matt. I started in sales 19 years ago and I started selling copiers door to door. So when I started, it was very different than what sales looks like now. Um, I, before starting in sales, I was a teacher. I actually was a, um, caught the travel, travel bug in college, lived abroad in, in Australia for a year. And then when I got back to the, the States, I just didn't want to stop. And so I moved to South America. I taught English in Venezuela for a year and was doing a bunch of travel writing and photojournalism and it was not the traditional path to sales that many people take but for me um, during that year I ended up falling in love with um, with a Venezuelan girl and my visa ran out and I got back to the US I had no money no job no girlfriend and so uh, quickly I realized that I couldn't get her here if I was going to be a freelance travel writer and so I pivoted and went into sales and um, the rest is history. So that's how I got in. Uh, I spent about 10 years at, at Rico selling copiers. I, I was at IC for a while and then I moved up into leadership and ended up running a fairly large team. I had 80 employees um, and 10 wow. sales managers and was running about a $60 million annual business. Um, and I read an article in Forbes magazine that said the average uh, enterprise account executive at Salesforce was making about $300,000 a year. Now at the time I was running a sixty million dollar business making about two fifty a year, so I said, <laughs> "I said, what is going on? This is this is crazy." But it just like was an eye eye opening moment where I'm like, "Is that even possible? That's the average person. Imagine what I could do if I I get there with my work ethic and my skills." And sure enough, I interviewed with them, got rejected a bunch of times. Um, found out people were making north of seven figures in Salesforce. I was like, I have to get in yeah. here. So I just set my mind to it and ended up um, meeting someone who took a chance on me and was thrown into this space of enterprise selling after selling <laughs> copiers transactionally for, for so long. And that was a, a, a massive, I would say, transformation for me to, to go from that type of sales to more strategic um, selling. And uh, I didn't do great. I, I, I failed for several years in a row until I started investing in personal development and really um, humbling myself and um, learning what it takes to achieve at that level. And that got me to number one at Salesforce. And then I repeated um, a great year the following year. I think I finished the top five globally after finishing number one, made a ton of money. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I'm giving you a long answer, but, but yeah, it all that, leads yeah. to me coaching. It, it, I, I had a near-death experience a few years ago, and I'm like, none of what I've done matters. Nothing matters. What matters, mm -hmm. if I died right now, what matters is, is leaving a legacy, helping others, serving others. And so it started me on this kind of journey to coaching and making videos, and that evolved in, into where it is now, where I could leave Salesforce and do it full-time. And so I have the privilege of training individuals and companies on – um, really strategic selling, but I don't just sell on the skills. I also sell on the mindset and the habits and a lot of the stuff that I personally had to go through through my journey of personal development that was never taught. And so um, now I've been doing it full time for about a year and it's been uh, it's been fantastic. I, I just love that transition from from being a teacher and you think about you know 
teachers just do amazing things, especially when you're teaching a different language in the world that we're doing. You're kind of, you have your own language and you're selling mm-hmm. to them. And then getting into copiers, um, someone is a mentor of mine. He started and he's one of the most successful salespeople I've ever worked with. Literally started selling copiers door to door. And, yeah. you know, and it was funny because talking about copiers and, and the, your love life is he used to actually bring his wife on door-to-door sales with him pretending she was working with him but just just to like have fun like she was hey you want to come with me and just kind of sell it side by side and then turn into being wildly successful but smart you you learn a lot especially from selling something that's a piece of hardware door-to-door getting kicked out of buildings getting yelled at to like i can sell this cloud software salesforce thing and realize it's a complete change but each part of that journey i'm sure you you learned a lot and all those are probably still part of the, the coaching that you do today. That's, uh, that's an awesome, but crazy transition that, um, it seemed like everyone just, there's never been a straight path for anyone we've no. talked to. That's just wild journeys across the board. Yeah. It's funny. Cause a lot of what I teach is what's missing in enterprise software. So it's the combination of being strategic, but it's also the grit. It's the grind. It's the hustle that, Made made or breaked us in, in in Rico. I mean, it was all numbers. It was all activity. It was very predictable, um, and it's not one extreme or the other. It's not just be strategic and add value and solve problems and help people achieve goals. It also nothing happens until you have a meeting. If, even if you have yeah. the best mm-hmm. message and you have the you know the, the the most tailored, personalized, greatest email, it's still is going to take eight times before someone might get back to you, especially an executive. So. The, the first year at Salesforce, I ended up hitting my number before I tanked big time because I sent 15 emails to a CIO of a big hospital chain and ended up, ended up just through sheer persistence getting in. And, and everyone was like, what the hell, the new guy, how did he come in? But that's all I knew. All I knew was just keep going. Don't be take no for an answer. Be persistent, be persistent. Yeah. So I, I think there's there's a healthy combination that the top, a lot of the top copier people um, do very well in, in, because they have that um, resilience, they have that tenacity, uh, but, but it's not enough. It's not enough to, to do well in enterprise software because um, you can just you know, burn out very quickly and you, you could just rely on the same techniques. It's not about just the quantity when it comes to selling anything strategic. It's, it's all about the quality and the relationships and um, you know, the, the, you almost have to know a company better than they know themselves in, in many cases. And um, they don't teach any of that stuff when you're selling a commodity. So I, 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 I hope that I'm going to combine the two um, and, and offer something that's really not right now taught in, in any sales training that I've um, ever taken. It's either one or the other. It's like skills or mindset or, or you know, I think that's Goggins in the back there. I don't know if that's a picture of Goggins there, but it's like oh, yeah. hustle, grind, keep going, <laughs> or be super strategic and solve problems and map an account. But, you know, it's both. Um, so my, my focus is really mindset, habits, and skills that, that are needed to, to thrive at the highest level, not just in sales, really, but in life. Yeah. I mean, it really is about, you know, that integration of work and life that I think people screw up a lot. And, and that the pivot from, Cause I, I had a similar kind of background that it wasn't copy sales, but it was credit. What'd you, what'd you sell? It, I sold burial insurance and credit card processing, kind of similar door to door, very transactional. And it was just all about, it was all about the numbers at that point. If I made, you know, more dials than people pulled more doors than people, there was kind of a path there. But once you get into pivot into more of the, the software or more strategic space, it's not, you, it's not just, I can bang out more calls and beat someone. You gotta be, way different in your, in your, your mindset and your approach. So what was your, your kind of biggest shift? And when you were doing copier sales, was there anything you were doing from a kind of day-to-day basis to keep your motivation up, whether that was, you know, mental techniques, um, nutritional techniques, anything like that, or did that kind of not really come along till you got to Salesforce? Just curious to see when you, when did you start kind of incorporating these things? I, I, it didn't really come along until 2017. So for me, it's really been the past five years when I've gotten deep into, um, Mm -hmm. you know, things like uh, morning routines and exercise and health and really um, connection, family. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I do that optimize my sales performance. But unfortunately, my story was one of making all the wrong mistakes, nearly dying, and then realizing I was doing everything gotcha. wrong. So my um, 
you know, when I was at Rico, Rico it was it was like what you hear a lot about with people in, in their 20s where it's like work hard and play hard. It's, you know, go hard from like Monday to Friday and then party all weekend and, you know, rinse and repeat, make as much yeah. money as you can, buy the nice car, buy, you know, the nice things and show off. And, and that was what I thought sales was. That's how I drove my teams. A lot of times I'd have big incentive trips. I'd, it's all about the money. Um Times have changed so much, but that that path never brought me fulfillment and never brought me joy. It definitely brought me success in, in terms of, um, I would say, um, what other people might deem success looks like as far as income and money and material possessions. But uh, unfortunately, I struggled with addiction heavy when I was in my 20s. Even though I was doing great on the inside, I was, I was really mm -hmm. torn apart. So the past five years have been um, massively you know, for me, redefining what success looks like. And um, my health has been a major, major part of that. Um, I lost my, my father when I was only 20 years old to um, lifestyle choices, addictions, and, mm. and that type of thing. Um, I lost my first boss at Salesforce. Uh, he was 49. My cousin Jeez. passed when he was 47. So I've seen people very close to me die from going down a path that I was kind of following. Mm. And fortunately, um, you know, I, I would say I don't do any of that stuff anymore, but for the yeah. bulk of my 20s, I was mm -hmm. living a very unhealthy lifestyle and um, it could have, I'm, I'm very grateful that it worked out the way it did, but it could have ended tragically on, on numerous occasions with um, just just really, really horrible decisions that I made um, when I was in my addiction, so. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's almost like it's, it's encouraged too, because that's just the routine of, we do this, we go to happy hours or sales totally. kickoff. We go to sales kickoff and it doesn't matter if, if you're, you know, the most drunk guy that's out till four in the morning, as long as your butt is in that seat and you're present, they don't give a shit. And it's, it's almost encouraged. Like, ah, great job. You're out super late and you got up and your butt's in the seat. But if you're not there, we're going to fire you. Right. We're going to bring you to Las Vegas, <laughs> yeah, challenge right. you. And then if yeah. you're not there, yeah. then we're going to fire you. It, yeah. That was the Rico culture in a nutshell. I mean, we used to yeah. have yeah. these incentive trips where we would go, different places in the world we'd be up all night and just behaving i, I could this is not the purpose of this podcast right but, yeah um i i fundamentally was very much part of that and leading it to some extent and, and it you know it's definitely not something now that i look you live you learn when you're young but that was that was the culture it was like friday night let's get everyone together let's get them hammered to go in their cars go their separate ways i mean to look back on that now and think that you know i could have um, you know, I, I could have potentially killed somebody or someone on my team could have made those choices is really crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were going to trips to Mexico and people were, you know, yeah. doing all kinds of crazy things. Leaders, leaders in the organization were, oh, yeah. were cheating on their, their families in front of the whole team. So I, it's like, I, I, it just blows my mind since becoming a Christian, since getting into personal development, since committing to my family and my marriage, none of those things. I mean, but you have to kind of go through that sometimes to realize what you don't want. And so, uh, unfortunately, I spent a lot of time, I, I would say of my 19 years, I probably spent at least 10 living in that type of world, um, fairly extreme, extreme. But but it, at least it seems, again, over COVID plus probably a few years prior to that, that there has been a big shift in the way people think about incentivizing and, and motivating. Cause I'm sure in your Rico days, if you were to have leveraged probably all the stuff that you're doing now, you would have been looked at like you're crazy and you might've been fired because we're like, this is completely the opposite direction versus I'm so now. Glad. Yeah. Yes. You're so right. The, the focus on wellness and health and family and work-life balance and you know, the, you know, the, the types of benefits that are offering it's, it's been a cultural shift. It's been a shift in the industry, but unfortunately what I talked about is still very pervasive amongst, amongst a lot of the sales, especially in, you know, certain people in their twenties. I see it a lot with people I coach and they're in this kind of like pattern of um, working really hard. And then, you know, um, going crazy on the weekends and you know, all, they're all miserable. All of the ones are like, you know, I, they feel this void, they feel the lacking. So it is there, even if the companies yeah. aren't perpetuating it, I think just being in your twenties and making a lot of money and not having some responsibilities yeah. naturally lends itself to, to some of those choices. And I think the personality too, that's attracted to sales is, is going to be more of that addictive personality. Right. And, and the, that's right. The motor, the money motivators, having that in front of you for the first time, because um, I mean that's something that you know Sean and I in the early days too were all about too, pretty much. Um, and that was just yeah. that was the culture 
where we were at. And it's still something to this, to this day where it's, it's like, I got to kind of pause and go, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to go down this road. You know, luckily I've, I've you know got a wife and I've got two kids now. So that's tamed yeah. me down a good bit, but in the pre pre kid days. Oh yeah. I mean, we were, we were, you know, out till four in the morning in the middle of the week, just like it was normal. Yeah. A lot of happy hours. So we, Ian all worked a handful of us at a really fun company, small little crappy office in Atlanta, but we had truly a sales pit and it wasn't, we we're a successful software company, but a lot of our development talent was, was in Vietnam. So we didn't have the flash. So it was just like sales. It was a garage, but we work hard, play hard. And it's now funny to look back because we're all pr- pretty close still. And it's everyone's married, kids living in the suburbs and, you know, a focus <laughs> of family first, but you know, it's all still driven by success and wanting to make money, much money as possible. But, um, there's this, <laughs> the same there's thing this is money. with me and my friends. If we look back and we tell stories, it's kind of funny, but a lot of I, stories. I had, a, I had a good buddy over this just this Sunday and we were uh, hanging out in our backyard and the kids were playing all together. And he started saying like, I love Glee too, or sing. I don't even know what he was. I was like, who are you? What, yeah. what is this conversation? But that, that's fairly normal when you, when you have young ones. So it's I, gotta I, be sing too. Cause I just saw that. And it's, it's sing too. It's a great movie. And it was worth the uh, $25 rent fee that somehow we watched it like 10 times in a day. Um, you know, for, for you and what you're doing today, right. With, with the coaching are you mostly working with individuals? You're working with teams. And I'm asking this in the sense of, I feel like obviously one-on-one working together, it's, it's easier to have like with an individual contributor conversations around all that. But if you're working with teams or managers as well, do you find you're getting pushback on some of the things you're trying to implement? Are they reaching out to you because they're ready to make some of these changes? What does that look like in the dynamic of, of your engagements as a sales coach these days? Because, you know, I say the sales coaches of of the past that are just jumping in and talking about medic and challenger sale and be mantra. I mean, that's, they're not going to be here. So I'm interested for what you've been doing the last year. Plus, what does it look yeah. like from your perspective? It's so funny. Um, cause that's like the eternal question I have to ask myself where, where I get the most joy, where I get the most fulfillment and the most impact is when I, um, spend time one-on-one with, with folks and really, um, create a space that's safe where they can open up, where they can share secrets in some cases that they've never shared before, having grown men cry and open up about why they feel like they're not enough. I mean, that that's really powerful because it's like a release of what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And then we can work on a plan. And you know, how do you make sure you realize like your, your self-worth is not attached to your net worth or your percentage of quota? That That's a big part of the one-on-one coaching I do because that's what people need, right? That yeah. they need to figure out, look in the mirror and see what is really holding me back. And most of the time, it's not skill. Most of the time, it's their habits. It's their mindset. It's their um, belief system. Because your, your, your thoughts are what creates your emotions that create the actions that lead to the results. So if we start with the thoughts and you know, in, in the beliefs, uh, in the emotions and really spend time there. I mean, it, it really is half therapy in the cases where I make the biggest breakthroughs and see the, you know, the massive shifts. Um, with that said, you can't do that. I don't believe in, in a Zoom, you know, setting where you're yeah. with yeah. 50 people. So what I've done is I've tried to um, create a program that has a focus on mindset. I'm doing it later today. I'm going to teach 50 people um, about mindset and what are the mindsets of sales champions. And some of the questions I'll introduce will have um, the opportunity for people to get real and vulnerable, but you don't necessarily get people sharing to the same degree in a group setting with their boss and their boss's boss on as you would in a one-on-one yep. setting. So for me, um, you know what I'm, there's a few things. So yes, I, I probably do most of my revenue with companies right now because the individual coaching doesn't scale. And I do want to serve the market and serve more people at bigger scale than what I can do just by doing one-on-ones with you know 15 mm-hmm. people uh, at a time per week, which is about the max you know in, in in a personal capacity that you can you can still be really impactful. And so. Yeah. Um, what I've what I've done is I do both. So I get my um, cup filled of serving and making sure I still have my one-on-one clients. But then I do corporate workshops, which introduces this, these concepts in a one-to-many. But maybe we don't get. You're not going to get grown. I haven't seen too many tears in these in these group settings in a Zoom. Um, but I I have seen people open up and share 
why they need to be successful, what's holding them back, what bad habits and behaviors that they're going to. I go first. I generally talk about, you know, I've been sober for a couple of years and I talk about my journey to sobriety and what that looked like. And when I create that space and share some really um, heartfelt stories and open up, I find that that gives others permission to, to go. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll get some private messages afterwards, like talking about, you know, things that wouldn't be shared in that group setting, but it is harder in a group setting to really get raw yeah. and real. With but, people. but I would imagine with, with your finding and learnings on the one-on-one sessions probably set you up for a lot of what you're talking about, the bigger group, right? You could, you're sharing with 50 people, you know, later today. And I'm sure some of the things you might learn from an individual, you, you might bring that up and then you probably have 20 people in that group of 50 that are sitting there like, that's me right now. Like, and then of course it's how to take it from now I'm in this group setting. Do I go to Ian? Do I go to my boss to figure out these, these things I'm dealing with? Yeah. It's, it's some of the stuff I've dealt with in my personal life is so like taboo. And so, you know, um, like I'll just give you an example. I, I, and again, it's okay. So this is an optimized sales podcast. So one of the things I teach is addition by subtraction. And the concept of addition by subtraction is really simple. By removing the stuff that doesn't serve us, we make space and time for the things that do. So we go through, we identify and list out all the things that we need to subtract that we spend our time on. And when I'm talking about subtract, I'm talking about, it could be something very harmless, like, you know, I'm texting some friends throughout the day and it takes me off my focus to something more extreme where I'm checking out at 4 p.m. to go drink because I'm like counting the minutes to something in the middle. Um, well, my sobriety and for me going through that addiction, addition by subtraction, I looked at myself and I, I looked at all the unhealthy behaviors that I was doing and the tendencies that I had. And it's been it's been two years, not not just since I've gotten drunk, but I haven't like smoked pot, for example. I stopped taking Adderall, which I used to depend on to be, um, you know, to get my work done because I, yeah. I do have ADHD. Um, one thing I mentioned in my workshops is pornography, right? Which for me mm -hmm. was a problem and it was a problem in my marriage. So I haven't looked at porn in two years. Well, a lot of people would, that would make a lot of people uncomfortable, but that's the truth. That's my true yeah. story. And for me, it's really helped my marriage and it's also helped me um, in a lot of other ways with discipline and willpower and it just didn't serve our family and it, it was something that was has been in my family you know for a long time I remember finding my dad's playboys when I was six years old and that gets an imprint in your mind so there are things that I talk about that I've had to go through that I do in a group setting that you would never advertise when I talk about my program so what I learned mm -hmm. is you sell people what they want you give them what they need so when I sell people on a program, it's we're going to learn the mindset of champions. But when we go through the content, they're going to see some stuff that fundamentally has to do with recovery and removing bad habits and vices. And I, I'm very open about sharing you know, some of the struggles that I, I had and how it impacted my sales. Because if you're not fully living in integrity, if you're not fully aligned and you're doing things in the shadows or a part of you is hidden, you, know, you can't be your best self. You can't be your best salesperson. You're going to have an internal conflict because you're not, you're not being true to yourself. But when your actions match your beliefs and your principles every day, I mean, you're the most free person in the world. So I, I fortunately have had um, help, a lot of help in, in getting here, but I'm in a place now where I'm living a life of honesty and I'm not doing things that you know, when no one's looking, I, I would be ashamed of. And it's been, it's been really powerful. And when I open that container, I get a lot of people flooding me with like, Hey, I do this, I do that. I do this in private. What do I do? And I get them to the right resource. Maybe it's me, maybe it's someone else, but there is uh, unfortunately a major mental health issue. And it comes yep. with, you know, the, the territory we're in a high stress, high roller coaster of emotions that come with sales. And when we're going through that, it naturally you want to gravitate to things that make you feel immediately better. And that's where it could be very unhealthy if it's not addressed. And, and that's kind of what I talk about in a way that I think is getting more acceptance um, than, than maybe one would, would think when you mentioned like, oh, I'm going to train a group of salespeople to talk about this stuff. Yeah. If I, I think if I mentioned that on the front first, first time I'm meeting, they probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't feel as comfortable. But um, afterwards, they're all like, wow, you went to some places that no one's gone to. And it, and it does, I think, help. That's the biggest help that I hope to, to uh, convey for the world of sales is like, let's, let's be true to who we are and let's make sure our actions 
and our behaviors matches, match our ideals and our, our beliefs. And that's what I define as living with integrity and selling with integrity. And I'm so glad you're doing that too. Just, just making them aware of that. A lot of these behaviors too, we're just, we're, we're dopamine fiends. We're, 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 we need that little hit that hit. That's why we like the deals, close the deal, get the dopamine hit. That's right. um, you'll go out, all that kind of stuff. But like you're saying the the, the addition by subtraction is, is perfect. I think, you know, McConaughey's got all kind of epic speeches, but one of them, he's, he just talks about these breadcrumbs that you leave. And if, you know, you cheat on your wife, now every time you're out, you got to look, look behind your shoulder. Is that girl there? I mean, all, all these little things that kind of add up, all right? If, right? if you know you shouldn't be drinking, but then you get drunk the night before, then you, then you got to kind of deal with the hangover the next day. All these little things just add up. And then if you just take a break from everything, you realize, wow, like there's so much unnecessary noise that I'm subjecting myself to that I don't need to, that if I just kind of, you know, cut this out, um, there's so much more room to add in good things. And, and you don't, you don't have that cognitive dissonance of, I want to do this, but my behavior does this, right. and, you know, in the shadows. And well, I think the, the other thing too, I think it was your post yesterday, Ian, when you were kind of talking about falling back into a slump, right. And yep. when you have so many of these distractions, most of the time it's going to take you <clears throat> longer to realize that you've fallen into some sort of slump, whether it's work, or family or health or everything else. Uh, and then it's gonna be harder to get out versus once you start subtracting more things, you're gonna realize you're, you're going down the right wrong path sooner rather than later. And I think that's the important thing once you find yourself, whether it's again, inside or outside of work or family, you start taking away all those things. But once it starts kind of getting in front of you again, it's, you're going to quickly realize it yeah. versus going way too far down and then realizing shit, yep. like I've been doing this wrong for the last six months now. Um, and I think that's the important thing too, to start. And again, it's not going to be a, I'm sure for you, it wasn't, I mean, maybe it was two years. It's incredibly commendable for all the things that you've kind of given up, but it's a journey, right? It's, I'm going to give up the alcohol. I'm going to give up the drugs. I'm going to give up the pornography and it, probably takes a long time but it did compound it did and, and you don't want to like t say i'm going to just go cold turkey yeah. all these things what i it's hard is once yeah. i gave up one i'm like oh i'm still doing this thing and it's like i was channeling to different like the, the underlying desire to escape was still there so learning to sit with yourself and not need to give in to dopamine or distraction or whatever is really what i'm working on now and you talk about the slump last week i mean i feel like a million bucks today yesterday over the weekend by doing some simple things that i know um remind me of who i am i, I put up an affirmation in my uh, mirror and in, in um my bathroom i'm reading it i just got connected with my my current why i'm doing my i have it right here i have my 12 week year i'm on that cycle now where i'm prioritizing and writing down kind of the key things and watching my progress as i execute throughout the day i've been doing a meditation i'm reading a book called the monk who sold his ferrari and you know there's a meditation that was recommended there and i'm doing that and it's just like so simple but yeah. I wouldn't be able to just execute all these new things unless I'd spent five years like gradually adding them. And so now I have this massive toolkit, which served me in recovery. It all kind of happened the way it was supposed to happen because I wasn't ever in a position, you know, I, I did three years of personal development before I got sober. Right. And that's what made me realize yeah. that I had like almost like a double life. So the, the, it was a double life. So the, 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 my, I was so primed to be able to get sober because I had done that personal development work, which was the start of me really looking inward and seeing like, okay, yeah, maybe you're not God's gift to the world, you know, because my ego is so out of control for so long. So it's still compounding. That's the cool thing. It's like, once yep. you go down this journey of like becoming the best version of yourself, it's forever because you're always going to have reminders and setbacks and fallbacks that like remind you, oh shit, I got work to do. So I was like very grateful for last week's slump because it just reminded me that amidst all the progress I have, I still have those natural tendencies that every single day is a battle to show up your best. And, you know, and if you slip for a second, you just go right back to where you used to go. So. Well, and it's great too, because I think you also mentioned this when you have a great network, again, whether it's personal or work where then your coworkers or family start noticing it too. Like realizing you're in a slump and being able to acknowledge that that's going to help be the support system you need to, again, get back on track. Be like, you, you seem a little down today. And you're like, you know what I am. I haven't even <laughs> told myself that, which it's great that you're saying this because now I'm recognizing I have been a little sluggish the last two days, two weeks, whatever, having an incredible network. Cause again, once you start op to openly talking about this, it's just, 
everyone else starts thinking about it and notices and notices the change and open about saying, you know, things are doing going well or they're not going well. And I think that's what's important that people have strayed away from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's key. I mean, I opened up to my wife. She was, you know, very supportive. And, and then I went on a met up with my friend early morning. We went on a walk and, you know, it's, it's just amazing how getting it out, right. Versus yep. like mm-hmm. the thoughts in your head. It's amazing. The medicine that that provides by, by having a listening ear and just, even just voicing it. Sometimes you realize, holy shit, I'm fretting about my own shit and there's people <laughs> dying and there's wars going on and it just puts things in perspective and yeah. you know, your feelings are real, but just, you can't just push it and say, Oh, it doesn't matter. Cause those are how you feel. And those feelings could determine how you, how you show up. Um, but the act of expressing and sharing and just opening up is something that, um, I think a lot of people are reluctant or hesitant to do because they don't want to seem weak or they just yeah. um, have never shared like that before. But it, it's amazing. It's amazing the he- cleansing and healing process that can occur just by opening up. And that's that's the cool thing about coaching, getting back to it, is like I, I, I try to give people a container to really um, open up and, and share kind of their feelings because some of them don't even have that anywhere so it, it turns into like half therapy you know on these sessions yeah. with some mm-hmm. people and, and by the end of it I'll, I'll i mean that's the that's where i feel like i want to do so am i going to coach and train sales teams i think for the foreseeable future but what i love to do long term you know in 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 the time that it's meant to be is talk about like really achieving one's full potential and some of the stuff i'm talking about with you guys in terms of like that integrity and defining, you know, what it is that's holding you back and like breaking through these habits and belief systems. Cause I'm a pretty ordinary dude. So if I can abstain from, from the, if I can change shit, man, I, I know anyone can, because I was a, I'm a very, very addictive um, personality for sure. So, so when you made that kind of the shift, like, okay, you know, I've, I've got a problem. I got to address it. Where, where do you kind of find yourself now? Do you feel like you have to channel that somewhere, like channel that into more of the personal development or, cause I know there's kind of different strategies of, of kind of shifting the, shifting the addiction per se to something else, you know, more positive or trying to deal with it in itself. How, how are you kind of addressing that? I guess within, you know, your recovery. I mean, there's so many different ways, but I'd say, one of the biggest ways is I had to leave my job. I had to leave corporate sales um, because yeah. it was no longer. Once I realized that I had a greater purpose, I mean, you guys are doing great work. You have a podcast that is devoted to helping salespeople live more fulfilled, better, healthier lives. I mean, that's admirable, right? So each of you would have had to come to a point where you said, this is needed. Let's do this. And it's service-based. Well, I was in that point, you know, where, I realized that making all the money and getting all the accolades, there was a part of me that felt empty. And that emptiness was coming from not feeling like I was contributing or giving my gifts to to others to to help them um, maybe overcome some of the challenges that I had to go through the hard way. Um, And so that, you know, took for me an extreme move, like leaving my um, leaving my, my job, but that wasn't like a random decision. I spent three years getting to the point where I could, I could leave and do it full time. So I think a lot of the, the medicine or, or the strategy has to do with like knowing what your purpose is or making sure that you're working towards more of a North star of like where you're going. And then you can back your actions and your day-to-day routines into fulfilling those, um, you know, to make sure you're on the right track. So for me, my North star is to you know, to transform sales and and bring a lot of the components that I'm talking about so that sellers are healthier and happier and more successful and not just make it all about the scoreboard. And that's what I post a lot about. Um, Another example or or another example of this is is on the health side. um, I want to inspire others to really set some big goals on the health side um, that are nothing to do with sales. So for me, signing up for a marathon this year and um, showing, hey, at 42 years old, you know, to go and, and do this for the first time, like if I can do it, any anyone can do it. It's all about your mental mastery and, and running does that for me. But just to literally go and say, 
Like, I think Tim Ferriss does a great job of this. When he, you know, wants to be the best in the world at something, he'll go learn tango to be, you know, com competitive yeah. or jujitsu or whatever. Like, like, that's what I want life to be. I want it to be like, there is no limits. There is no, like when you put your mind to some something and you have a plan and you have mentorship and help, like you can go and accomplish anything. And so there's this, I guess, um, principle of like knowing where you want to go, but also having an action plan that can guide you day to day. So I know, for example, if I'm running and I'm training, I'm not going to want to stay up late or I'm not going to want to go get drunk or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so for me that that's really important is to have your clear goals defined. I call them rad goals. Um, and then, and then have an action plan, drastic action plan to get you there. So I, I'm not okay. I mean, most people would be okay just doing one-on-ones making, you know, a pretty good living, but for me, that's not enough. So I'm building out this platform and, and, and I have 600 people on the wait list and I'm going you know, doing keynotes and, and doing group training. So it's like that kind of like ambition is, yeah. is mm -hmm. channeled towards serving and helping people. It keeps me like every day from eight to six, like freaking, I never have a shortage of, of things to do. So I, I think being bored is, is really a problem for a lot of people. And for me, that's what I try to make sure that I'm never bored, that I always have things I can be working on. And they're the things that I, I know are going to get me to, uh, or towards my, my broader, you know, vision and goals. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention, just kind of, I think for the more and more people, obviously that you're dealing with the, the individual contributors, it's great because, you know, for them and their careers being individual contributors, maybe throughout the rest of their career, what they learn from you and, and everyone else out there is going to benefit them. But then you just kind of sit there and hope and most likely, hopefully 10, 20, 50% of the people might become the next manager director of sales who then is going to take all this stuff and not be the old school sales director that we have been talking about, right? They're going to take a lot of the things that you're talking about and being able to then have the open conversations. And I think that's just, once that starts happening, I think it's happening a little bit. The sales manager of the past is going to be gone and it's just going to be widespread of being able to openly talk about some of these things. And again, we've talked about it plenty where sales metrics is still going to be there, but it's going to be, how are you? Are you sleeping yeah. well? You know, I mean, like, what are you, are you, you said you're going to run a marathon. How's the training going? And then all that's going to lead to probably incredibly successful salespeople. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and I got asked the question a few times now is like, you, what are you teaching people to be charities or all these things that have nothing to do with sales? And, and, and no, absolutely not. In fact, I am a big believer in sales metrics. I'm a big believer in quotas and uh, pipeline building and all of the, the things that lead to sales success. Because again, like I said, nothing happens until you have a meeting and that's what we should be measuring. But from a, um, that's, an, that's an outcome and it's not the, the, the central, I say focus on the output, not the outcome. The outcome is going to come out of what you're doing every day. Um, and I think a lot of people, I, I can think of one manager and I won't name names. If he's listening, he knows who he is, but <laughs> everyone on his team felt like a number. And it was like, what have you, what are you doing for me? And yep. it was the worst feeling to work for someone like that. And I had my two worst years in my career because I felt like I didn't feel like a human. So what you're describing of like, how are you? What, you know, how's your progress going? How's your family? How's your wife's pregnancy? Like that's, that's, I mean, it's fucking just infuriating to me that that doesn't like naturally occur because of an actual, like that's human to human. That's actually being a good person. How is that? Like, how does that get excluded from caring about metrics? That It's not yeah. one or the other. It's like, yeah, you, you should be. And if you're not, and if you make people feel like a number and you're an armchair manager sitting, looking at reports and pinging people about deals without like asking about them, you're going to go extinct you, like the dinosaurs. You, so you, you end up dreading as a, I see you dread the one-on-one -on, -one on a right. weekly basis, That's right? right. You, That's right. Versus feeling like you're now, you, yeah, you feel like you're going to see the principal in middle school and you're like, ah, yeah. uh, I'm going to make up some of these metrics about these calls I, I scheduled. Ooh. I don't know. I just got to make him happy versus cortisol spikes. Yeah. You want to, you <laughs> want to be sad. able to be like, I get to have my one-on-one -on -one with Ian this week. We get to talk about all the good stuff and then, you know, the success of him having also the struggles I'm having. Like that's so, what you want. Yeah. So Ian, why do you think that is so common? Is it, you think it's just because it's typical that a top producer gets bumped up to leadership and there's no leadership coaching. It's not a true leader that should be there or because they're, you know, because of their role and they're just, 
you know, supposed to forecast and give metrics up to their bosses because that seems to be very common, right? Yeah, I, I, that's a great, great question, Matt. And, and I think there's a few reasons for it, but you have to imagine. So this was me. Okay. I was, I was, I go back. It, it was a while. It was 14 years ago, but when I first got into leadership, it was 2007 in December, 2007. So yeah, about 14 years. And I was the top performer at Rico. And the way I looked at my business is, you know, now I have a number. It's my number to hit. I didn't look at it as I have seven people on my team and I'm going to help them hit their numbers to get to mine. I'm like, I need my numbers. So you get these sales managers and they're coming from this place of like, I'm used to being successful and I own my own results. And now they're dependent on a team and their focus becomes they're still treating it as an individual contributor word. Like this is my number. Your job is to help me get to my yep. number because yeah, that's what they've always it. been measured on, taught and rewarded for. Right. They didn't get taught. Here's how to develop people. Here's how to care about people. It's, it's like, you're a salesperson. You're, I do me, right. That's kind of very, why people go into sales and why they can be very successful. But when you're a leader, that approach doesn't work. Leader leaders have two two jobs. That's one of the reasons. And I think it's a big one. Is yeah, you don't yeah. they don't get leadership training or coaching. But for for anyone to be a successful sales manager, they have to do two things really well. Number one is they have to add value to their team. Okay. You don't want to be the manager that's just inspecting or you mm. know forecasting stuff and you can't bring anything to the table. Like good leaders, the best ones I've worked for they remove obstacles, they help get deals approved, they go out to the customers and actually move deals forward when things are stuck, right? And most importantly, they show their team how to make money. They show their team and they model how to do the job, right? And that's where I've learned the most is by having managers that are like really good with business acumen, executive conversations, business case, storytelling, whatever it is, like seeing them in action and then you know, your reps will pick it up and they'll learn and they'll want to bring you in versus, oh, this person adds no value. Let me get out of my way. Let me do my thing. Right. And, and we've all had both types of managers, but that's the number one job of the manager show people how to do the job and make them successful, put money in their pockets. The number two job is develop your people, find out what they care about, find out what they want, inspire them, coach them, lead them, you know, challenge them. Right. And really care about them. And I just feel like when the manager thinks their job is to hit their number, then that um, fundamentally is is a, a major, major hurdle in terms of developing your people and showing them how to do the job. The second challenge is they're pulled in a million directions. Being a frontline sales manager is a really hard job. They're going to their meetings, they have trainings, they have all kinds of different um, mm -hmm. you know, company obligations and they have to do all kinds of things that they didn't have to do. And they're not very effective. Some of them with time management and I coach leaders too. And I see this a lot where they don't even have time to coach and develop their people. Right. So that perpetuates the situation. They're just so busy, so overwhelmed that they can't develop, go out to deal sometimes. And in a lot of it just has to do with bad prioritization and bad time management skills that I don't think they're taught as well as, as a rep and they just say yes to everything. So there's a number of reasons why it's not because they're bad people. It's not because they don't care. I think they're just a lot of managers are over, over their skis a little bit. Yeah. And, and the point you make there kind of, of when you bump up from individual contributor, there's kind of that, well, I'm losing, I'm losing control of my destiny to an extent. Now it's on the team for me to hit that number. And that can, that can be kind of a, a panicky moment. I'd imagine. Yeah, because you're looking at your people and you're thinking, oh, you're taking away from me, right. hitting my goal, or you're contributing. And then you go favoritism. And it's like, but that's looking at someone as a number, right? That's the exact versus yep. seeing them for their potential and helping see them for what they could be doing versus what they're actually doing. One is creating the news, the other is reporting the news. So it's like, right. we all know, and it, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think that's where the biggest impact and the biggest growth can occur is when you have a frontline manager that actually... Um, cares about their team, believes in them, leaves them alone, empowers them, supports them, and ultimately develops them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you you don't want to cross the line because now I'm becoming too micromanagey by getting inside of everything, and and then that works against you again too. That's so right. that kind of it's hard. Balance <laughs> it's yeah. hard. I mean, I, gosh, I like I said, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in my past, um, and I was someone who used to scream at their team. And I remember someone I, I taught them how to do a proposal, and I showed them the format I was looking for because I was 
wanting to control everything and make sure it was following the process that I knew worked. And the guy left out a bunch of key things and made a bunch of mistakes. And I, I remember I took his proposal out in the middle of the street and I ripped it in half and I threw it. I was like, get out of my face. And what the, you know, I, I was a madman. And it's like that, you know, again, it wasn't because I didn't care. It's, it's like maybe it was a communication issue or maybe I cared too much. But yeah. you can't expect as a manager people to be exactly like you. And that's another mistake. People think they can just show up and everyone's going to be like them. Well, there's a reason they, they were a top performer and got promoted is because they were, they had a certain work ethic, di discipline, drive, um, you know, uh, intelligence, uh, charisma, whatever. And you can't replicate that. So you just got to get the best out of your team and get them to be the best versions of themselves and realize like your way isn't the only way. So there's, there's a lot of um, leadership development that I think needs to take place in, in that frontline sales manager um, position specifically. So just, you know, real quick um, before we wrap up here, the pivot for, you know, from sales now post COVID that we're a lot less in person. I mean, the whole game has changed. What did you kind of pivot in your world to, to kind of find success there? Cause I know at least, you know, for Sean and I, a lot of our, sales motion and routine was getting in person using our personalities. And once that was kind of cut off and now everyone's virtual, well, now I lose that aspect, but so does everyone else to an extent, you know, it's, it's starting to come back now, which is good. But how did you kind of pivot into the virtual world? Yeah. Um, I, I love the virtual world. I was traveling so much. I was so far away from my family. I have two kids, yeah. five and, and one. I think I was a much, uh, unhappier person when I was on planes and traveling and whining and dining the clients and it happened to coincide with my sobriety so that that helped a lot too with maintaining good recovery but yeah. I, I I think selling virtually requires you to really rely on more skills than personality Okay. Yeah. In other words, people aren't just going to meet with you because you're taking them out to drinks or golf or whatever. They're going to meet with you because you're doing something to help their business grow or to solve some challenges. So, you know, spending a lot more time on, um, you know, understanding where and how you can help a client really digging deep and getting your messages to be targeted and personalized versus, Hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood meeting with this other <laughs> client. Can I stop by? You know, some of that stuff might've worked in the past, but I think people are more protective over their time now with, mm -hmm. with, um, with COVID. And, and, you know, when you meet with someone, it's gotta be very, very specific as to why and what you're hoping to, to get out of it. You have, have to be a lot tighter too with, with how you spend your time. So that, that's how I pivoted is, is I, I didn't so much rely on the relationship. I, I more, um, you know, I, I found that I, I was a lot more productive when I stopped traveling, right? Because oh, I could yeah. squeeze in four or five meetings where if I was going on site, I might do one, maybe two. And yeah. so being really efficient with, with your schedule and making sure um, a lot of executives in, in my experience, again, I, I had really great results selling through COVID and, you know, I, I overachieved and I started my business because I could be more efficient with my time and, and use every minute of the, the day wisely. But what I found is a lot, a lot of these executives used to travel a lot. It was harder to get on their calendar. It might be three or four weeks before the next meeting, but with COVID, they're not on a plane as much. And it was just easier to get, get time scheduled. Now, now that's starting to shift and people are getting back to what they used to do before. But I just feel like in general, people expect a very, very tight agenda. They expect to know exactly why they're meeting and they don't want to waste a lot of time because a lot of people yeah. have been sucked into like Zoom, countless Zoom meetings and they're being really trying to take on less and do less meetings. So if they're going to say yes to a, you know, a sales meeting, um, they better have a really good reason to do so. So you have to be a lot more um, uh, creative and, and more, um, I'd say, relevant and prescriptive as to why you need to meet when you reach out for prospecting. And I do feel like it's generally like there's been a lot of tools that have helped with automation uh, of mm -hmm. next steps and, and follow-up and scheduling and that type of thing, which, which are making it a lot easier. So I, I use you know, Calendly religiously. I have a lot of automation set up with my follow-up and, um, you know, it's been, it's been really nice to, to leverage that because I don't have no shows for the meetings, right? I just don't. And so, um, I don't know. I don't know if fundamentally if being looking at someone over zoom or looking at someone on video is really, 
if I could summarize what I'm saying, it's more the relationship is not important as important as yeah. it used to be. It's more about the value you're bringing and the ways you're helping them as an individual and their company be successful. Those are way more important than someone just meeting because they like you. I, I don't think that is effective anymore. And I think now that people things are getting back to normal, I still think it's going to stay that way. I don't think people are just going to meet just, just because. Whereas in the past, they might have done it just to get out to a nice dinner or you know, yeah. something like that. Use the vendor's uh, yeah. corporate credit card. But that's yeah, I right. mean, that's, it's, it's, it's right. a good point though, because it's, it's very much now, you, you know, you have to be relevant. You have to know their business. Why, why are you meeting with them? What's important to them? What are their strategic initiatives? You know, why should they be talking to you? Because it's, it's, it's such a time suck when you look back on it of, Oh, I just got to go out with this freaking vendor or they're, you know, every vendor wants to come on site. So then we got to book, you know, two hours in the conference room and they're going to want to take us to lunch and, I mean, if I was on the, if I was on the side buying software, I'd be like, this is great. Like I don't have to meet with these freaking salespeople yeah, anymore. Totally. I mean, I, and I can do all my research ahead of time with the internet G2 crowd. I mean, all this stuff, like the, the buyer has never been more empowered and they're so far down the journey <laughs> by the time you talk to them that you better know what the hell you're, you know, you're doing. I, I, I think that people now are really protective of in-person meetings. And they're going to say like, why do we need to meet live? Why not yeah. just jump on a call or jump on a video and get through? Cause we can get so much more shit done. We could have the right people there remotely dialed in. And I agree. I mean, I'm going to say yeah. no. When someone wants to take me to coffee, I'm going to sit in there in there in Burbank. I'm going to say, don't drive an hour to get to, you know, to South Bay. Let's just get on a call. Like let's do 30 minutes. You'll save four hours. Like I, yeah. get, I get like the relationship selling has its place. And, you know, in a big deal, you want to be in front of people, but for all those in between meetings, they don't need to be in person, make the big one in person, but not everyone. Whereas before right. it was like always about getting on site with the client. I think that's the biggest shift that I yeah. I've seen. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know we're coming up on time here, so really appreciate the conversation today. I think it's super, super cool to see you go from kind of teacher to sales to now kind of back to teacher all coming, coming full circle here. So Thank Why don't you, you, uh, you want to tell the listeners kind of where, where they can find you, how they can reach you? Yeah, just uh, LinkedIn is best. Um, just follow me on LinkedIn or send me a DM if, uh, if uh, anything you, that I shared resonated and you need support, <laughs> let, let me know. And um, if you're interested in um, my free content, I have a YouTube channel and it's youtube.com slash Ian Koniak. And you can get a ton of sales training videos, but also videos on mindset, habits, um, time management, uh, every everything that is is not sk selling skills to your to your point, John, of Challenger and Medic, you can get that elsewhere. Yep. <laughs> you really want to know what what it takes to get to that next level from the looking from within. That's where my channel would be helpful. And then if you're interested in my coaching programs, I do um, have a platform that's launching end of March. Knock on wood, as long as development's okay. Uh, and the site for that is untapyoursalespotential.com. If you go to Untap Your Sales Potential, it's a year-long program. I'm taking online group and one-on-one um, -on -one, um, memberships, and there's a wait list on there. So you can go right there and get on the wait list, or you can DM me and I can point you to, to it if, if you forget the site. Get on the wait list, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ian. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Ian. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And thanks for everything you're doing on, on this important topic. Awesome. Have a good one. You too. Bye.